Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, it was an exciting Masters once again, wasn't it? It was. It was. You know, um, you, you never know. The, the, the last nine holes really, you know, depicts who's going to win. And yeah. Matsuyama did fantastic, but he bogeyed three of the last four holes. He came it, close. It, it almost fell apart for him, you know. I mean, it's interesting how that is. And nobody really challenged him, you know. I mean, you had those other two guys that, you know, the young guy that shot nine under. And then yeah. you had um, – Zella Terrace. <clears throat> Yeah, and he would do the shuffle, yeah. you know, fell apart on 16 with a triple buggy. But it was just interesting to, to I mean, he, you know, uh, Matsuyama played incredible golf up to that point. He did. And then it just kind of started the, falling apart. I think the nerves could, got him. The pressure, yeah. you know, was was intense, but he hung on. I mean, it was yeah. hats off to him. He's what been around a long win. time. Yeah, for the, the Japanese culture. I mean, he's. He was probably already a hero. Now he's oh my goodness, you know, you know in goodness. Japan he's gonna be like statues of him and yeah, stuff. Uh, yeah, that's pretty incredible. What a great a win for him. Beautiful weather. Um, just another great spring Masters. Yeah, we've got baseball coming up. The Green Jackets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Atlanta affiliate now. So in May. So that's exciting. They're playing baseball down there now with a uh, high school and college teams. So yeah, that's neat. That's neat. Some and fun we got stuff. Uh, the Heritage this weekend. Yep, yep. You know, going on right now down in Hilton Head. So a lot of good stuff. Spring's just just a wonderful time of the year and a um, lot going on and um, you know speaking of which um, you know we got some things going on on the show here that you want to pay attention to one of them is the six retirement killers okay these are things you want to avoid at all cost and this is a great article out of Kiplinger's John um, you know we talked about the seven ways to wreck your financial future a couple of weeks ago so now we're going to talk about how to avoid the retirement killers Something you really want to pay attention to yeah, for good. all the folks retiring nowadays. Yeah, very, very good uh, discussion. Then we're going to switch over to uh, kind of diversification conversation. And Steve, we we see this. Uh, we look back at history, and, and you and I know the history very well of the markets, and you know the Dave Ramseys of the world do as well. And and so one of the things that can kill a retirement as well is not being well diversified. And, right. Um, so you know having a portion of your your assets um, invested in uh, international is important. Um, and we'll go through some of the details and some of the history of that, but making sure you're diversified is so critical. Yeah, it really is. You can't just get myopic and just start thinking about just one area of the market because, you know, it's done so well. Um, you have to stay diversified. So that's a very important topic. But by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 25 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show or our podcast up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the uh, podcast. And gosh, we, we're doing hundreds now. I mean, we've we've been doing this for a long time. A lot of good topics. Yeah, It's yeah. fun to go back and <clears> listen almost. to some of them a couple years ago and and some of the things we talk about and so forth. But uh, go check that out. We also have a uh, Facebook page. Um, we've got Sarah doing the, the uh, prescription this week, and you'll want to yeah. check that out. She's Sarah's our... Uh, she's entertaining. She's our creative mm -hmm. guru in the in-house. So I've, I've seen it. It's very funny. Yeah, right. She yeah. sent me a snippet of... <clears throat> yeah. 
of the dog. It's, it's hilarious. Like, it's pretty. It's yeah. gonna be funny, yep. no doubt. She's good at that. And uh, so you want to listen to that? We're gonna start off here though with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the survey of consumer um, housing, and uh, you know, Steve, this is interesting. Doesn't surprise me. Uh, one out of every eight homeowners. About 12% with a mortgage refinanced their loan to a lower interest rate um, in just the previous six months. Seems a little low, but I guess there are a lot of people coming into the market buying right. you know, homes, and so they're they're locking into a, a low rate. But uh, yeah, that helps the budget, right? That helps the economy when interest rates are low for people that have debt. Right. Um, it's going to you know allow them to have that, that extra money to go spend somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, rates are still incredibly low. Um, I think 30-year rates have crept up a little bit. 15-year mm-hmm. rates are still real good. But yeah, I mean... You know, still, one out of 12% of folks have refinanced recently, and a lot of people had very low rates already, right? from, you know, a couple of years ago when they were really low. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, the market's been hot, but I think the refinancing days are probably getting ready to end. I think rates are starting to creep up. Yeah, if you haven't refinanced <clears throat> and you're above, uh, you know, 4% range, you know, you, right. you can take a look at it. Um, there, there are still some pot, you know, opportunities out there in 15-year and um, something to help the old budget. Absolutely. So good fact of the week. That's uh, that's very interesting. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the six retirement killers. Um, and these are things you want to avoid at all costs, John. I mean, we we see these 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 issues that people run into a lot with retirement. And so you got to be careful. But this is a great article out of Kiplinger's um, very recently. But, John, we covered the seven ways to wreck your financial future a couple of weeks ago, which mainly focused on bad investments, you know, that you can make. So this week, we're going to complement that with the six retirement killers because (laughs) you don't want to do these. (laughs) You don't want to do these. And we're really focused this month on things you need to avoid (laughs) so that you can avoid these potholes in your financial future so you don't run into big problems. Um, But yeah, if you're starting to wonder if you have enough money to retire, you aren't alone. According to a recent um, uh, survey done by the Employee Benefit Research Institute, um, only 30% of respondents said they were very comfortable that they would have enough to retire um, when that time came. And that means 70%, John, aren't aren't very confident, you know, that they're going to have enough. And then there's another 61% who said that preparing for retirement makes them anxious, makes them feel stressed. And we get it. I mean, you know, planning for retirement can be very scary. I mean, even if you start early, you know, and you have help, you know, and you earn a good living, um, it's still, it's 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 stressful because it is a big decision. And it's a transition, you know, from a lifetime of working. And, you know, there may not... <clears throat> There may not be any do-overs um, if you make a big mistake there. So you do need to be careful. And when we see these numbers about how anxious it makes people feel, you know, it reminds us that there are some things out there that we've seen folks get really wrong mm-hmm. with retirement, you know, and their actions that at the very least can throw kind of your retirement off track and in some cases can potentially have irreversible consequences, so we see people making these six money mistakes, you know, from time to time, and they really can't endanger retirement. So here are the six ways to kill your retirement and how to get back on track if you fall into one of these. Yeah, the first one here uh, we, we see pretty pretty frequently. This is not unusual. is not having a writ, written spending plan. I mean, you've got to know what you're going to need in retirement. So, you know, soon-to-be retirees often say their number one worry is outliving their money. Yet most most folks are winging it. They're they're going through retirement. They don't have a plan. 
they really don't know how much they can spend um, or you know where to find the money that's going to replace their paycheck. Uh, or they don't know if it's going to last. So it, it creates a lot of stress when you don't know that number. When you have the number and you match it up to a retirement plan, then the stress can go away. Exactly. Yeah, that is critical. Yeah, having a written spending plan, it's like having a compass, you know, and I mean, if you use it correctly, you'll always know kind of where you are, where you're going. Um, you may have some, you know, adjustments that you make each year as your priorities and the cost, you know, change as you go through retirement. But, you know, if you understand and stick with your spending plan, it should help you stay on course. And when you combine that spending plan with a retirement plan, which shows you where your income is going to come from, then you have a complete picture of how to be successful in retirement and to be free from the anxiety of not knowing where you're headed. So, you know, don't head into retirement like driving in the dark without headlights. I mean, you have to know where you're headed and how you're going to get there. And that's what the spending and retirement plan will give you heading into retirement. That one's really critical. And that's a good one. Second one here, though, is using the wrong investment return assumptions in your in your income plan, in your retirement plan um, in retirement. Um, that's really critical. I mean, if you're counting on a 12 percent return to make your plan work, you know, for example, that market doesn't, you know, and the market doesn't cooperate, which it probably won't for a retiree, um, you're most assuredly going to run into trouble. Yeah. I mean, when you start looking out, you know, 30, 40 years, you've got to be conservative and be realistic uh, when making assumptions about the market performance. When we run plans at Richard Young Associates, we use 5%, 6.5%, and 8% returns, kind of give you a spectrum of the low, medium, and high returns. Um and, uh, you know, as a rule of thumb, you know, your income plan should be based on a withdrawal rate of no more than four to five percent of your investment. So you got to make sure that you keep some money in, in fixed income as well, which is why you need to have a conservative, you know, return. The 12 percent, um, you know, is, is certainly dangerous. So make sure you keep at least 18 months to two years in fixed income investments uh, that can be available for withdrawals. Um, so you're not forced to sell stocks when the markets are down. So we we see the stats, markets are down about 25% of the time. So, you know, bonds are, are, are more stable investment in your portfolio, and it helps you get through a bear market. So it's better to get a pleasant surprise when the market is stronger than expected than having to deal with a devastating disappointment and running short, you know, later in your years. You don't want to run out of money. So be careful with the return assumptions. Um, you know, be conservative on that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, using the wrong assumptions will definitely get you in trouble and another one, though, that will get you in trouble, though, is simply taking too much risk with your investments. Um, you know, some people get caught up in um, accumulating money that they, you know, forget, forgot, uh, but they forget to protect what they have when they're in or near retirement. Um, others kind of get lured into speculating with their investments and simply taking unnecessary risk. Um, so, you know, the remedy here is to have, you know, a financial advisor um, maybe it can, it can help you, um, kind of do an exhaustive review of your investments, you know, simulate how you would re how they would react to the historic market crisis, like 2000 and 2008's corrections and bear markets, and then assess how, you know, vulnerable your current portfolio might be to future corrections. I mean, once you have an idea of the true risk exposure, <clears throat> um, then you can reconstruct an investment strategy to suit your needs and your goals. And you also need to make sure that you're well diversified across many asset classes, hundreds of securities within each asset class. 
You know, don't allow yourself to get lured into chasing hot stocks or speculative investments like Bitcoin, what we all hear about, you know, which are getting all the attention these days. I mean, having a predictable amount of risk is huge when you're counting on a stress-free, enjoyable retirement. Yeah, another one here on the list, which I, I really like, is not enjoying the people and the activities that you care about. I mean, some retirees are so uncomfortable um, with not knowing what their what their income can be and watching their balance of their retirement accounts that they spend less than they can actually af uh, afford. So they don't take trips they once dreamed of or, you know, they don't visit grandkids as often as they could. And then, you know, you look and you get into retirement into your, you know, late 70s and 80s and you've realized that, you know, time has ticked away and you haven't knocked out the bu bucket list and done some of the meaningful things that, that you were planning. So that's where having that income, how much can you spend? It really frees you up to go spend it um, and, uh, you know, have a, a, a really good chance of it not running out. So that's that the plan piece of it's important. Yeah, it really is. And that is the remedy. You're right. You, 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 um, kind of gave away my punchline here. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> now the goal, that's right. I mean, the goal here is to find the happy middle ground is to gain a comfort level, you know, and be able to really enjoy retirement. You know, and um, using, you know, there is a strategy, you know, kind of a bucket strategy that some people use with their investments and their assets that can give them, you know, some confidence they need to really enjoy their money throughout their lifetime. And in this approach, you know, the bucket kind of provides for different needs. For example, you might have a more conservative account. That's your safety bucket for money that you can get your hands on, you know, quickly. And, you know, that's invested more conservatively in fixed income type investments primarily. To, to use for vacations and big purchases. And that might give you the comfort level to, to be a little more aggressive with other, you know, money that you have. Um, so then you can also have a growth bucket that's more aggressive, you know, that has aggressive investments in it that holds more stock type investments and is designed to build wealth for your future needs. And you can have the income bucket where your pension and your Social Security all kind of fall into the income part of the picture um, so kind of categorizing it in your brain, I think, you know, will help you. But the bottom line is you got to have a plan. you got to get comfortable with where you're headed. And that will allow you to, to kind of free you up to, to, to go and pursue your dreams and, and what you really care about in retirement. So that's key. Another one here, though, John, is giving too much money to kids. You know, I hate to say it, but we do see this a lot. Um you know, we've seen uh, this really be a retirement killer in many forms. I mean, parents can't with grown kids who kind of still depend on them for their everyday living expenses. And then there are others who are kind of paying off their kids' student loans. Um, some parents will, you know, loan money to their kids at low or no interest or agree to co-sign on a car loan or a mortgage. Um, parents may gift, you know, money to their children too soon and then, you know, come up short on what they need for themselves later on in, in retirement. Um, we've seen, you know, kind of way too many examples of couples kind of giving everything to the kids and not really, and it's not really helping anybody in the long run because it doesn't help the children, you know, kind of enables them to, to, you know, get solidified, you know, solidify their bad habits. Um, and it's certainly not helping the parents because then the parents, you know, run short and, and need to depend on them. So everybody wants their children, you know, certainly to, they want to help their children. They want to help them be successful, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, you know, the right way at the right time. 
Yeah. So the remedy is, is you got to take care of yourself first. I mean, when you fly, they always tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can help someone else. So that should be the rule for parents when it comes to gifting or, or lending money. You got to make sure you're okay first, you know, whether you're still saving for retirement or maybe you're already there. And if that makes you feel stingy, think about it this way. You're giving your kids a different kind of gift. You're giving them the gift of financial independence for them and, and yourselves as well. So be careful about helping your kids and make sure you're not enabling poor behaviors um, and giving out an abundance and, and excess and uh, hurting your own retirement. So we we do see that. I mean, we see people that are givers and they give to a fault and it hurts their family as well as the family they're giving it to. Yeah. I mean, having said that, it's great to help your kids. Sure. We certainly are all for that. You know, you just got to do it the right way at the right time. So just, just kind of be careful with that. And then the last one here, John, is blindly believing that that little green light or smiley face on your 401k retirement calculator when you log on that 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 means you're in good shape for retirement. <laughs> you know? Don't believe that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, have you seen that when yeah. you log on? You know, they give you a little smiley or face, the, maybe a green light. Yes, sunshine. You know, yeah, sunshine. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, it's it's very simplified. They don't know your situation. It's just that's just some calculator on your on your uh, retirement plan when you log on. You know, if you don't have a plan or you don't understand your plan, you aren't okay, no matter what the, the green light or the smiley face says on your retirement plan. You know, so the remedy is if you don't have a retirement plan, you're in that final 10 years maybe to retirement, you should be concerned, you know. I mean, if you have an advisor and they aren't willing to be able to help you maybe construct a plan, then it might be time for a change. So don't let these or other mistakes cause you to come up short in retirement. You know, get a good plan in place that can help you overcome some bad choices. And, you know, the sooner you can get back on track, you know, the better you're going to feel about your financial future. So, you know, just be careful of these these uh, potential pitfalls that you can run into. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, we run across this periodically, and I just had this uh, situation recently. And um, the question is, is I, I own family land. It's sentimental. Um, but I need I need some money. And so the land is an asset, but it's not liquid. And um, so the question was, is wh- what should I do? And so, gosh, you know, sentimental family land, it's hard to completely yeah. sell everything. So an option, and I discussed this with the individual, was to, it was, I think, 28 acres, maybe keep five acres or seven acres and right. sell off 75% of it. You still have a portion of it that you can always go back and visit. And if you want to live on it in the future, but you're you're unlocking that liquidity and you can take that and maybe you need to pay off debt or do emergency funds or save for retirement. So you kind of are accomplishing, you know, two things with, right. with one action there. Yeah, doing part of it I think is a good plan. A lot of times there's a sibling, you know, in the picture that that wants the land, you know, and and so you can just sell it to a you know, a sibling, you know, somebody in the family. So it stays in the family. Um or or maybe there's an uncle or somebody, you know, that wants the, the land. So um but yeah, I mean it's an asset, and you do need to tap it if you need to tap it. You know, yep. if that's your, if that's what you have, you you need to tap it. So, yeah, I think selling off a piece of it might be a good answer. But yeah, maybe look for somebody else in the family that'd be willing to buy it. Um, but you know, if there's nobody, then you know, land is land, and and you can you can create new memories and new sentimental things <laughs> in the family. You know what oh, I mean? Steve, come on, it's just land. It is. It is. You know, <clears throat> yeah, and, you, you got to figure out what's going to work for you, but. 28 right. acres, it was worth like $250,000. I mean, that's a yeah. chunk of change. and Big chunk of change. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't get too sentimental about 
yep. property and land and houses. I mean, you eventually you, you know, a hundred years from now, somebody else is going to have that that's land. Right. That's, that's right. just what, that's just the fact of life. Yep. So yeah, but that's a great question though. Yeah. Maybe there's some ways to work around that. All right. And that works, leads us up to our next topic here. And then that is, uh, International. Uh, international yeah. investing. Good article from uh, the Swab organization. And, Steve, it may be time to revisit, uh, you know, the international allocation. We see a lot of people coming in with a home bias, right. you know, having a lot in the U.S. And we've seen this before. This is oh, not yeah. a – I mean, we, we go back into, you know, 2000 and, uh, you know, seven, you know, early uh, 2000s, and we see this. And having little or no foreign exposure may seem like – may not seem like a negative when your portfolio is doing well. But an absence of the international equities could mean you're missing out on potentially greater returns, certainly uh, diversification across sectors, and a hedge against those years in which the U.S. stocks struggle. And so here's some things you've got to take a look at. And U.S. stocks have struggled historically, and they probably will going forward. No one can, can tell you that. But this is why you diversify. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, internationals, people have been focused on the U.S. here recently because it has performed a lot better than international stocks. But... You know, I mean, we're further along in this pandemic, too, and, and internationals eventually are going to catch up with us. And uh, the dollar is not going to be strong forever, too. So, you know, you need to you can't abandon your international diversification. And so first off, and, you know, no one country offers full global stock market exposure. And in fact, it's surprising how many major countries stock markets perform like a single sector of the global market. Um, the United States, you know, there's by far the largest sector in the United States is technology. I and mean, that seems to drive the overall performance in technology a lot. And the S&P 500 now is dominated by, mm -hmm. you know, some really large tech companies. So, you know, you got to be diversified beyond just one country because a lot of times that's that's driven by one sector yeah in japan the stock market closely tracks the uh, global financial sector and that's not to say financial companies dominate the the japanese stock market but the influence of the global financial conditions on all types of japanese companies is evident in their performance and if you look at canada it kind of tracks the energy sector so the, the canadian economy is more you know, relevant um, than, than, than most on uh, natural resources. Uh, even the banks are tied to this sector's performance. So accordingly, you know, over the past decade, U.S. stock market certainly has performed the best among, um, you know, a lot of the sectors out there. Uh, Japan uh, posted relatively modest gains in line with the uh, global financial sector, and Canada was the weakest of the trio because, you know, the energy piece has not done very well over the last 10 years. So, you know, these examples really illustrate the potential dangerously, you know, being, not being diversified and having a large home bias. The data and the stats that we see, Steve, is, you know, the international outperforms the U.S. 50% of the time. It goes all the way back into the 70s. So, That's right. you know, the U.S. has outperformed recently, but uh, it's dangerous to, to have too much of a home bias. Yeah, that's exactly right. Another reason, though, is because of the dollar, the dollar's direction. You know, if you hold a stock that's denominated in a currency other than the U.S. dollar, um, you can either benefit or you can suffer from the exchange rate changes. Um, for example, in July last year, um, European stocks fell about 1.5% um, when measured in euros. However, because the dollar fell against the euro, by 4.8% that same month, European stocks actually posted a 3.3% gain when measured in dollars. So, 
you know, the, 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 the exchange rate change makes a big deal with mm-hmm. internationals. And that's part of the reason why internationals have suffered compared to the U.S. But, but the but currencies tend to flow. They tend to even out over time is what research has shown. They do. And so if the dollar, you know, has a long-term slide, um, you know, and, and weakens based on, uh, you know, wide budget deficit, zero interest rate policy, it could act as a uh, boost to the performance of international stocks uh, as measured in dollars. Right. So, the you know, the dollar direction has an impact on it. And as you said, over time, it does uh, even out. You know, the other thing that we see, Steve, is change in leadership. Market leadership usually switches between the U.S. and international stocks at the start of a new economic cycle. So in the in the 80s, uh, international stocks led by Japan outperformed um, the United States for the most of the decade. And in the 90s, we had the dot-com economy um, that really paved the way for the U.S. stock market. And then in the early 2000s, international markets crushed the U.S. I mean, the, yep. the, basically, the uh, the U.S. stocks went for 10 years and made no money. And so, Zero. you know, they didn't show up on the things that, to crush retirement. But it, it is one of those things that if you're, if you're too narrowly focused, um, you could potentially run out of money. If you're pulling money from a portfolio and you make zero for 10 years, that's not a good... That's no. not a good setup. So the, these changes in leadership typically are triggered by a breakdown in, in fundamentals, um, such as unsustainably high valuations and uh, dwindling earning expectations. And uh, according to Swab, they're currently seeing signs of some of these uh, f- fundamental deterioration in U.S. stocks. So, you know, they're basically saying, hey, you may want to take a look at international stocks. And, and we're right. big believers in diversifying the Ramsey organization is as well. So a lot of people out there are telling you, hey, take a look at this. It is important. Right. Exactly. You got to have a balanced portfolio. As a matter of fact, I just sat down with a guy just yesterday and, you know, I think it was it was like 90. I mean, I think he only had 3 percent in international and it was all almost all stocks, you know. Yeah. And so it just kind of goes to show you, I mean, people very quickly get biased to what has done well recently. And you have to be careful about that. Um, yeah, I mean, if the U.S. stock market's past decade of outperformance, you know, caused um, your portfolio to drift from its kind of long term allocation targets, now may be a good time to consider rebalancing your portfolio back toward international stocks. Fortunately, achieving a global allocation diversification has never been easier or less expensive. You know, a broad international mutual fund or exchange-traded fund can give you exposure to a lot of different sectors and, you know, very readily available now. Um, so you just need to make sure that you, you don't abandon, you know, the international piece of your portfolio. Yeah, and how much exposure should you have to international? That That's up for debate. I mean, it really depends on your risk tolerance. Uh, time horizon, and also, quite frankly, your process. Um, and the process we have when international is out of favor, we can leave it alone uh, and go pull money from another place. So, you know, if your global allocation is, is out of line with, with your target, start by making, you know, small shifts as part of your regular rebalancing routine. This gradual approach will uh, allow you to adjust your, your uh, balance on your portfolio over time versus one dramatic move. So, it is important being diversified. Um, we have this conversation a lot with folks. Right, it's, it's very risky to to be so. Um, you know, a lot of people have gravitated towards technology, and who knows where technology is going to go from here? But uh, history says the valuations are pretty high. You know, valuations right. matter. They do. They do. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just step on a limb and say, you know, for international diversification, we'd like to see at least 25 percent of your equities in internationals. Um, Yeah. You know, it's kind of a minimum 
minimum uh, allocation. So just look at your retirement plan, look at where you are, and make sure you have something similar to that um, in your holdings. So good topic. And that leads us up here to our final topic of the week, and that is your prescription of the week. Yes. So uh, create some financial boundaries to keep yourself on track. And again, Sarah's going to do the prescription of the week. If you're listening to this, uh, go to our Facebook page and and check out Sarah. She's got a hilarious, um, she's always does, does very good prescriptions. And so the, some of the financial uh, boundaries that you can, that you can set up uh, envelopes is a way to control things. Um, uh, Auto contributions, you know, you can pay yourself first, a couple uh, items that Sarah actually contributed was uh, don't shop past nine o'clock, Steve. Yeah, well, you know? well, I'd be in trouble then because I do a lot of my Amazon shopping <laughs> at past nine. Yeah. yeah, so that that's one of hers. Um, and then setting a hard limit on holiday or birthday present, um, you know, giving the shopping piece. Right. Out. Set some numbers, you know, to that's control right. it. That's so right. A lot, a lot of different things you can do, but um, you know, I think. Having some boundaries is going to help you be more successful. Yeah, and I'll throw one in there, and that is take a list every time you go shopping. Mm. Only buy what's on the list. Yeah, you know? and I think your wife is so good that she knows where everything is in the store. It's really good. Right? She has it like lined up by columns on her list. You know what what aisle it's on, and she just circles them and she goes through and just throws things in the cart. Yeah, and she goes down each aisle. And well, she gosh, now with the uh, down her list. online ordering, I mean, you can do Instacart and have people, you know, go and pick it up, doing. right? That's what she's doing. Okay. And that really keeps you from, yeah. she does that at Walmart, and that really keeps you from buying, doing impulse buying, yes. right? And so I think the, the the having them, you know, bag it up for you and just give it to your car, bring it to your car, I think it's brilliant. And it will save you money. Yep. Because it will keep you from doing the impulse buy. Oh, thing. yeah. You so. go in there and you're hungry and you see something, you oh, smell, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. the bread oh, or whatever. Never send your husband to the grocery yeah. store before he's had dinner. That That's, <laughs> that's right. a, a huge, that's a disaster. That's a mistake. Yeah. We've been there. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work well. Okay. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And check us on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. Or give us a call, Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 